From WUB News, you're listening to The Outlet, where campus meets community. I'm Michael Weirich. Each week on The Outlet, we bring you stories from Southeast Ohio and the surrounding region. This week on The Outlet, an Athens program fights for funding to help young children. I, I very truly believe in people and their capacity to change the world. And I think, um, you know, the world sounds like such a big thing, um, but for the work that our CASAs do, you know, the world um, can be about one person. And how community members feel about a new outside dining option. Like a lot of people wanted outside seating. If you want to use the outside seating, go right ahead. If you do not want to use the outside seating, we understand how you feel. We welcome you inside. These stories and more right here on The Outlet. A man from Shelby County was arrested early Tuesday morning for allegedly killing two people. 43-year-old Ryan Weimert was charged with two counts of aggravated murder. The arrest came after the bodies of two campers were found in the woods. 36-year-old Stephen Sturgill Jr. and his girlfriend, 39-year-old Crystal Don Burchett, were from Pickaway County and traveled to Morgan County to camp at the Appalachian Hills Wildlife Area. The two lost contact with their family three weeks ago when a missing persons report was filed. Monday afternoon, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources called the Morgan County Sheriff's Office for assistance after a well-being check of a family at the campsite. They found the missing couple's car at the equine camping area, and a search into the surrounding woods began. Two bodies were found in different locations Tuesday. Weimer was taken into custody by the Morgan County Sheriff's Office and booked into the southeastern Ohio Regional Jail. Preliminary autopsies revealed the couple suffered gunshot wounds. Weimer was charged with two counts of aggravated murder. His bond was set at $1 million and a preliminary hearing was scheduled for August 2nd. However, a grand jury could issue an indictment before then. That would send the case to the Morgan County Court of Common Pleas. Septic tank waste and restaurant grease spread into a section of Raccoon Creek in Vinton County after a local business put too much waste in a dumping site nearby. Taylor Burnett has more. A to Z Sanitation, which offers septic tank cleaning, portable toilet services, and grease trap cleaning, was issued a permit from the Ohio Environmental Protection Agency to dump a regulated amount of grease and sewage in a field near the creek. The business dumped an estimated 100,000 gallons of sewage and grease into the field, which was too much, under the terms of its permit. A to Z was required to report an over-application of waste on the site, but did not. After a heavy rainfall, the waste seeped into Raccoon Creek. An anonymous resident sent a complaint to OEPA, reporting smells of sewage and water with other substances in it. Upon investigation on June 7th, OEPA said there was an extremely heavy bacteria growth along the sides of the stream along with large collections of grease floating on its surface. Todd Zussman, the owner of A to Z Sanitation, said the waste was dumped into the field on June 1st, but an OEPA official estimated the infiltration had been occurring for three to four weeks. The site where A to Z was permitted to dump had large collections of grease and sewage, which was also found in nearby ditches, some of which flowed into the waterway. However, no dead fish were found the by the OEPA, drainage, coming from both surface and land mining. The water was a red-orange color for a long time due to the substances in the stream, says Nora Sullivan, the Raccoon Creek Board Partnership chairperson, and an environmental specialist. After years of the creek being full of acid mine drainage, residents in Gallia County started a grassroots effort to clean up the creek in the 1980s. However, it wasn't long until they realized helping Raccoon Creek was beyond the efforts of their group. In the 1990s, the six counties that encompass Raccoon Creek, including Vinton, Athens, Hawking, Gallia, Meigs, and Jackson, partnered with OEPA, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, and local landowners to form the Raccoon Creek Partnership. It coordinates efforts to restore the creek and keep it safe for the animals living there. 
The partnership has recently put a lot of money into further cleaning up the watershed while treating areas of concern. These efforts have targeted 110 miles of the creek with over 20 projects. So back when the coordination efforts started in the 80s and 90s, the EPA originally was like, this this is never going to be cleaned up. It's impossible. But, you know, of course, nobody listened, <laughs> thankfully. Another large section of the creek has been designated as a second-best rating the EPA offers, Sullivan said. Other efforts to restore the region have included tree planting protecting the edges of the creek path and invasive species removals and environmental education. Because of the work of the partnership, the area is now required to be protected by environmental agencies because of how healthy the habitat is for wildlife. A to Z sanitation is required by the OEPA to clean up the contaminated area. OEPA's final records of the incident on June 22nd indicate they complied. Zuspin was required to update OEPA officials by text, with photos of the creek and cleanup efforts. Zuspin used suction technology and trash pumps to remove the bacteria on the edge of the creek, as well as to remove some of the grease from the water. The company also deployed booms, a temporary barrier used to collect materials and water spills. From June 7th, when the spill was observed by the OEPA, to June 15th, the OEPA and Zuspin estimated 25,000 gallons of grease had been collected from Raccoon Creek and the ditches surrounding the field where A to Z was permitted to dump, some of which led to the waterway. For The Outlet, I'm Taylor Burnett. According to James Lee, a media relations manager at OEPA, A to Z Sanitation is working to prevent more grease and sewage from seeping into the creek and is working to remedy the soil as well. A to Z has since stopped accepting waste and continues efforts to remediate the site by collecting free oils and grease on Raccoon Creek, Lee said in an email. A program for neglected or abused children in Athens County has lost a substantial amount of funding. Nick Veland reports. Court-appointed Special Advocates or CASA is a volunteer program that plays an important role in determining the best interest for children who are in the court system because of being abused or neglected. Funding for this program has been cut by 30% in back-to-back fiscal years. CASA's grant money went from $230,000 to an expected $77,000 this year. Athens County Juvenile Court Judge Zach Saunders says he finds the cuts disappointing. Uh, it broke my heart. And no, you know, no victim organization uh, should, should suffer those cuts. Uh, I mean, that's detrimental. And when we really talk about it, it's detrimental to local communities uh, because obviously um, that funding, when it trickles down, uh, especially in southeastern Ohio, we're, we're, we're given the, the bottom of the barrel. The funding supports training programs for the volunteers, and the executive director of the Athens County CASA program, Jenny Stotts, says there are great benefits for the kids through these workers. They actually tend to stay in substitute care um, for fewer months than when they don't have a CASA volunteer. They tend to have more of their educational needs being met. They tend to, um, they're more likely to pass all their grades at school. Um, they are, here in Athens County, they're more likely to be permanently placed with their siblings when they have a CASA volunteer, and they tend to get more court-ordered services earlier on in the case when a CASA volunteer is there. And for Stotts, every CASA volunteer has the ability to promote good through these kids. I, I very truly believe in people and their capacity to change the world, and I think, um, you know, the world sounds like such a big thing, um, but for the work that our CASAs do, you know, the world um, can be about one person. For The Outlet, I'm Nick Veland. Athens CASA is now looking to county commissioners for help with fundraisers to get back some of the lost funding. For the first time in over 20 years, Lancaster will have a new head football coach. 
Nick Vielen reports once again to see how he's fitting in so far. When Rob Carpenter retired in November, it ended a 23-season career as head coach at Lancaster High School. Brian Schoonover, assistant coach for the Golden Gales from 2010 to 2012, has returned to lead Lancaster, and Brian Schoonover said he has some big shoes to fill. Coach Carpenter's a legend. Um, he's a guy that he is Lancaster football. He is blue and gold. He, he is the representation of, of what this program is and, and will always be, and that's a tough, hard-nosed energy guy who, who's team first, kid first, and you know, just trying to carry that on and, and build off it my own way a little bit are kind of the things that, that I'm just trying to do um, personally, but no pressure now. <laughs> Schoonover comes from being head coach at Groveport for seven seasons and knows what it takes to get players on the winning mentality. When you come to practice and, and, and you, what you preach is what you do, you know, kids see that and they kind of feed off of it. And it's, it's, been, it's, it's been fun. From the players' perspective, the change is just as noticeable. And Lancaster running back Nasir Robinson said the impact it has on the offseason is major. Everyone has a lot more pride in, you know, playing for Lancaster. Everyone's playing harder, faster. Everyone's trying to grow instead of just, you know, getting through practice and getting it done. Everyone's putting 100% throughout the whole practice. So I think that's the biggest impact he has on our team so far. And middle linebacker A.J. Locke said Schoonover has a strict policy whenever he sees the energy isn't there. The room and it's quiet, he walks out and comes back in and is like, I need to hear something. We always, every time he walks in a room, we're always clapping. We're sitting in the locker room waiting for the final meeting on the out. He walks in, we all cheer. It's just a ton of energy that he brings, whether he does it himself or just we feed it off of him. For the outlet, I'm Nick Veland. The Golden Gales are busy preparing for their opening game against Pinkerington North on August 20th. After the break. Now, while children are less likely than adults to get severely ill from COVID-19, they're not invincible and most certainly can and do have the risk of becoming ill. These stories and more right here on The Outlet. on Stimson Avenue will continue into the night in order to pick up the pace on the construction. The night work will occur from Cornwell Street to Kern Street from 10 p.m. to 6 a.m. During this time, the road will be closed except for local traffic. This will continue for the next three weeks. The addition of a night shift comes because of minor delays in the project, which has disrupted business along the route. Mayor Steve Patterson said that this was the only way to speed up the process. Unknown challenges that the contractors had to, to deal with and re-engineer uh, the installation of several different uh, utilities underground that it, it slowed down the project. And in a conversation with the contractor last week, and then again with all the business owners, or at least the business owners that could make it to a Zoom meeting on Friday, uh, to tell them that what the options were, and one of them was to accelerate the construction timing 
to get caught back up to where we felt we needed to be uh, would require three weeks of nighttime construction on the project. Mayor Patterson says he hopes the work will bring the project back on schedule. COVID cases have been on the rise this month. Will Price reports on how these trends are affecting the upcoming school year. The Ohio Department of Health released new COVID guidelines earlier this week with school slated to start in about a month. Ohio's chief medical officer, Dr. Bruce Vanderhoff, announced the recommendations at a press conference on Monday. He strongly recommended vaccinations for those who are eligible and masking for those who are unvaccinated. While these are not required, he said that these recommendations are crucial for the safety of the schools. While there are no mandates associated with this guidance, we believe that the recommendations we are issuing are essential to the health of Ohio's youth and the success of the coming school year. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention also updated their COVID guidelines, recommending that everyone wear masks in schools this fall. Vanderhoff said it's important to remember what effects the virus can have on children. Now, while children are less likely than adults to get severely ill from COVID-19, they're not invincible and most certainly can and do have the risk of becoming ill. Athens City Schools Superintendent Tom Gibbs said he's worked with superintendents across Athens County on their guidelines for the upcoming school year. They've held meetings with the Athens City County Health Department on their protocols since the onset of the pandemic last year. Just talking through the, all, the, all the guidance that comes out and then coming up with kind of a, trying to be as similar as possible in what, what the uh, protocols are that we implement in the districts in Athens County. He said certain things, like providing masks and extra cleaning, would be a part of their plan to combat COVID-19, but their protocols are not yet finalized. Reporting for The Outlet, I'm Will Price. Ohio has a new law that stiffens penalties for people convicted of hazing at the state's college campuses. Now, the public colleges themselves are taking actions to prevent hazing. Statehouse correspondent Joe Ingalls reports. The Inner University Council, which represents Ohio's public universities, has what it says is a zero-tolerance approach to hazing. It includes, among other things, automatic dismissal of students who are guilty of hazing. Corey Foltz, the father of Stone Foltz, who died following a hazing incident at Bowling Green State University this year, urges college presidents to enforce the plan. We are counting on you to never leave any one of your students behind so no other family will endure the pain of losing a loved one like we did. Please, no more deaths from hazing. The university anti-hazing principles also include going after student groups that encourage hazing and educating students, parents, and alumni about the dangers associated with it. Joe Ingalls at the Ohio Public Radio Statehouse News Bureau. Discussion ignited in an Athens County community Facebook group after a photo of Union Street Diner's new outdoor eating area was posted. Taylor Burnett has more on the heated outdoor eating argument. Earlier this month, the diner installed its parklet, which consists of several tables on an enclosed platform that occupies two parking spaces in front of the diner. Cynthia Brunty, an Athens resident, isn't confident Union Street Diner is a good location for this type of seating. It's just, it comes, the 
kind of comes out of a blind spot around that curve coming down that hill. And it concerns me. And like I said, people travel too fast on that road. I'd like to say I totally support local business and small businesses and the diner. But I just fear I wouldn't eat there outside and I wouldn't want to see any of my family or friends there either. Others who posted comments were excited about another opportunity to eat outside in Athens, expressing excitement in hopes that other businesses would make similar seating. Jay Shapiro, an owner of Union Street Diner, says many of his customers have enjoyed the space so far. Like a lot of people wanted outside seating. If you want to use the outside seating, go right ahead. If you do not want to use the outside seating, where you understand how you feel, we welcome you inside. Shapiro says the city approved the permit quickly, and he followed all the guidelines for safety and accessibility. As with parklets at other restaurants, Shapiro says his will only be open during a designated part of the year, as is required by the city's regulations of outdoor dining. Brennan's Coffee Cafe was the first in town to add a parklet last July, and owner Josh Thomas said he and his wife were interested in a parklet before the pandemic. He said customers have been very happy with the outdoor seating so far. It's something that we had actually, my wife and I had been to New York City a couple times on our last trip there, probably about three years ago. We actually sat in a parklet. We were just sitting in one and realized this is a parking space we're sitting in. Um, it's something that we wanted to do pre-COVID. We were like, man, this would be awesome if we could do this. So when COVID came along and the discussion happened, we're like, absolutely. For The Outlet, I'm Taylor Burnett. According to the city's regulations, the parklets will be removed for winter on the last day of September and can return on the day after Ohio University's graduation. That's all we have for you this week. Thanks for joining us. The Outlet is produced each week by me, Michael Weirich. We're edited by Aaron Payne and David Forster. Adam Rich is our technical assistant, and our theme music is performed by Ryan Gabos. Subscribe to The Outlet on SoundCloud or Spotify, or find us online at wub.org. You can also follow us on Twitter at Outlet underscore WUB and Instagram at WUB underscore Outlet. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Southeast Ohio region.